Welcome, everyone, to the New Evangelicals Podcast. It is so good to be with you. Thank you for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the show, if you can even call it a show. I don't know what we're doing here. Sometimes episodes are me and a guest. Sometimes it's me and Noah, our podcast producer. Sometimes it's me and Riley responding to some kind of video. So we try and keep it, we try and keep the variety coming for all of you. So that being said, it's good to have all of you here with us. Um, this episode is really Noah and I doing one of our, um, what periodical, uh, podcasts. <laughs> I, I really think, Noah, that we should do these if we ever can, like once a week. Cause I, Absolutely. I think. Maybe on a mental health level, I really enjoy them that much. I do too. They're a lot of fun. I, yeah, I think so. And on top of that, you know, there's only so much you can do in a reel or even in an Instagram story. And the, and the conversation, I think, is like where the real meat of things are. Um, and so I just think it, it's good to have you talk. So that being said, quick heads up, everyone. Um, Noah and I are going to be going to beer camp. Hosted by Trip Fuller, Godpod Edition, in, in what? So good. In like two like, weeks? Y- less than that, isn't it? It's yeah. coming up real soon now. Uh, October 13th. Oh, should I tell them what I did by accident? Yes. Okay. First, let me just say, if you want to join us, you can click on the link in our show <laughs> notes. If you type in TNE in the promo code area of the ticket buying process, you'll get $50 off your ticket, and that 50 bucks actually goes to TNE, which is really helpful. So it's a great way of supporting us and, and the podcast. And also hanging out with some amazing people. I mean, we have uh, Diana Butler-Bass will be there. Adam Clark, who's been on the show, will be there. Um, Aaron Simmons, who's been on the show, will be there. Dan Koch, who's been on the show, will, will be there. Pete Enns will be there. He was on the show. Uh, and, of course, Trip 4 and a lot of other podcasts, Kevin Garcia, uh, et cetera. So it's going to be, I think, a crazy good time. I'm not really a big beer person, so the allure for me isn't like, oh, my God, I get to drink the whole time. Like, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll enjoy a beer here or there. But I'm more interested in the conversations and in and, and in the people and also meeting people from the podcast or from the community. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, so you can go to the link in our show notes, type in TNE in the promo code, get 50 bucks off your ticket. That 50 bucks goes to us, which is really awesome. It helps us kind of pay our way to get down there. Um, okay. So, you know, no, I, I'm realizing that I'm naturally a big picture person anyway. Like to, okay. to put this in perspective for you, when I, I grew up in, in, in a painting business, my dad was a painter. He still is. And my dad's a really good painter. I mean, he's great. But my dad's also detailed-oriented. And, and I was always not detailed-oriented. And even as a kid trying to paint these walls, I would miss spots. My cut had never looked that good. I've just always been wired to focus more on the big picture and not so much the details. And unfortunately, well, maybe it's gotten better because now I have children and I, I have to be detail-focused sometimes. Like, no, Tim. <laughs> Don't put that thing in your mouth, right? Right. Um, I still sometimes in my haste to do things will overlook obvious details. Like, like, for example, when I booked our flights to get down to um, North Carolina, which is where beer camp is, I just assumed that beer camp would end on a Sunday, like Thursday to Sunday. And because, I mean, it makes sense. You're thinking like a weekend event, right? Right. A weekend event. And, and I'm not going to church on Sunday, so I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, we're heretics here, so I'm definitely thinking this event will go through Sunday. And the event ends on on an evening. So I said, great, we'll stay through and we'll leave that following day. Right. Well, it turns out I booked the flight for us to leave on Monday, thinking that we end on Sunday. But this event ends on Saturday. So we should really leave on Sunday. <laughs> but we're not going to because yeah. I'm not hey, I, I'm That's not going to cancel our flights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Free time. So, so, friends, if you're in that area, 
let's just say you're not coming out to beer camp. Let's say maybe you can't make it that day or maybe there's a financial, you know, obstacle. I totally get that. Um, but we're going to be in Chapel Hill that Sunday and for a good chunk of that Monday because our flight leaves in the evening. So if you want to hang out with us and maybe catch up, I mean, I'm sure Noah and I would be down to, to try and get coffee or something. So, um, Definitely. <laughs> but, but That'd yeah. be a good time. Give us, give us something to do with our extra day. No, for sure. Let's meet some for friends. For sure. <laughs> yes, meet some friends. Anyway, I thought that was a funny story. I'm, I'm working on being a little more detail-oriented. You kind of have to be for this work, because if you miss a detail that kind of blows up your whole point, people will let you know very quickly. So, And, and they should, by the way. I mean, that's what accountability is. Um, so I've been getting better, but it, I'm still a work in progress. I, I, I honestly am. What can I say? But you're a podcast pro- you're a producer. You produce music. Yeah. That must mean that you are detail-oriented. Oh my gosh, it means I should be detail-oriented. <laughs> On my good days, I am, but <laughs> that's a work in progress. Have you ever had... So I don't think people who aren't in the music space understand that when yeah. you record a song, I think sometimes people think you just plug in the guitar, strum the chords, sing the music, the band plays behind you, you hit record, and it's done. That's it. But people don't understand like how... Some most people would will will record one instrument at a time. Right. Um, you know, you do a lot of different takes. Sometimes the takes are kind of sloppy. Then yeah. someone like you has to go in and mix everything. How right. high should the guitar be here? What's the EQ of the guitar? That's very detailed work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like we. I think culturally we think about the recording studio like what we see in like a Mariah Carey music video or like a <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody movie. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's right. just like that heroic moment where everybody just comes up on the mic and it's like, bam, perfect. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist when it comes to production. When we're talking about making a song, it's like minimum of 60 hours involved before this thing's done. Totally. You know? it's, and, there's so many yeah. layers of work. There's different people involved in different stages of the process. You know, that song 100%. goes from PA to Nebraska to Australia, you know, all in the course of a week. The first time I ever recorded my, my band's uh, like full album that we did a long uh-huh. time ago. Oh, you I know, gotta hear that, by the way. Oh, <laughs> you gotta send me your old stuff. I, I gotta be honest. I it, it is some of the work that I still am most proud of as a drummer. We were really aggressive, very progressive music, like prog rock. So Mars Volta nice. meets Emery kind of vibe. Okay, uh, a lot of like odd time. My, my guitarist loves Mars Volta. Okay, he just does, and he would just write the craziest shit. I mean, things were. I mean, the first time I met him, I'm like, I come in as a 17 year old thinking I'm, I'm a hot shit drummer because I can play Travis Barker licks. And my guy, my guitar starts playing a song that, that, that starts in nine, then goes to six, and then goes to oh, four. No. And I'm just like, where's the one? Where's the <laughs> one? Where do I even start? So I, I am pretty proud of the album. I mean, it's not mixed that great. It's, it's definitely dated, but I say all this because, you know, when we went in, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in the studio, right? right that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a real, like, that term um, brings a sense of grandeur. And then you sit. And then you sit some more. Uh-huh. And then you keep sitting. And then you sit even longer. There's so much downtime in the freaking studio. <laughs> and, and people don't understand that, but there's so much. Yeah, and it's like the most humbling experience too. Because like <laughs> yeah. all of your insecurities as a musician, oh, you know, oh, yeah. the most detail-oriented mic you've ever heard in your life, and you just no, right, it off right. for the first time. <laughs> if you think you're a good musician, just go to the recording studio and play back your first take. An instant humbling. Instant. <laughs> you think you know everything, and then you realize you know nothing. That's yeah. kind of my daily experience in the studio. <laughs> I, I get it, man. I mean, it, it made me a better drummer, but it, it, it still is very humbling. But, I mean, yeah, there are definitely times where I listen back to stuff that, that we kept, and I'm like, ooh, I kind of rushed that. That was kind of sloppy. <laughs> 
but it is what it is. So would you or would you not have been signed to Tooth and Nail based on genre? I think we would have been. Oh, then I'll love it. I, I, That's like we, my we, metric for music. Like, would Tooth and Nail have signed this? It, and if the answer is yes, then I love it. Uh, listen, I, it's always tough because everyone says our music is so different. You know, it was so whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm no bullshit. I really believe what we had was something special. It didn't work out the way I hoped. I get that. I had, you know, we we played Cornerstone Festival. We did pretty nice. well in our local area, but the music itself, I'm telling you, man, it's it's pretty freaking unique. And I, I, I dug it. It was just one of those ra- weird but workable combinations that maybe on paper shouldn't have worked. Right. right. Like we fought over parts and what to play all the time in yeah. a good way. We were also good friends, but we, we argued intensely, but right. that makes some of the best music. Yeah. You know, yeah, like you need that tension of, no, we should do this here. No, we should do it this way. Then you kind of compromise and then you find, um, you know, the, the, this beautiful part. So the best, it, the best art comes from struggle and sweat and tears and blood. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, I agree. I agree. Maybe this is actually, man, I, I don't know how we do this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I must be a pastor or something because I have a great <laughs> nailing segue. these trends. We're really segued now into like, you know, really the, the crux of what we want to talk about. And I, and we'll get to your other stuff later on too. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely get to that because that, that's an important conversation. So, you know, the reason why we're kind of podcasting about this is because I, I did a reel, um, where is it? Uh, a couple of days ago. And, um, uh, it looks like it was like last week. And it, it, you know, one of the things about making videos for Instagram and TikTok is that I do a lot of takes because it's not because I can't say the words, but I'm really trying to make sure I word things correctly or like, or really get yeah. the thought out there. Right. And, and as I was doing this video, this thing just kind of came out of me and I'm like, Oh my God. That makes that that helped me click with something. So what I want to what I want to do is I, I want to play the video for people, um, you know, just so they can kind of hear the actual um, content of the reel, and then I want to unpack it with you because we're both musicians, and I feel like there are a lot of people out there who might be in the creative space, and this might kind of yeah. help them. Um, it's helped me at least think about the Christian tradition and theology maybe a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Let's right. do it. Let me share my screen. Share sound. Optimize video. Boom. Okay. Can you see my screen? If Zoom works for me. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I can see it. Make sure you can hear this. So the the title of this video, if you want to watch it, because there are some visual elements. Like, I am actually throwing books in this one. It's called Stress Relief. So here's what I said. What time? Tim, how do you relieve your stress when you read such terrible, horrible, annoying books? I'm throwing books By there. doing this on the weekend. Now I'm playing drums. So I've been playing drums now for 22 years. And one thing I can tell you is that the more I play and study, the less I actually know about music. I can also tell you that a good musician is someone who's in conversation with the other musical genres around them. So why don't we view theology this way? I was taught that theology is a static, objective truth that we have, and our job is now to defend that theology from all the other ways of viewing God. But the reality is that theology is a conversation. It's an art form. It's in communication with the past to help us inform our present and our future. Other theologians have beautiful perspectives that help us make sense of how God is working here and now in our midst. This is really important. You have permission to explore theology beyond the boundaries that you were given. Amen. All right. <laughs> Preach, Pastor Tim. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, right. Cue the organ. So, okay. So I, I, I make this video. This kind of just flows out of me. It's one of those moments where I'm like, wow, I don't, that, it just kind of hit me yeah. as I said it, right? And I've been thinking about this a lot because, um, as, as a musician, as, you're a musician, you, you produce music. You know, I, I'm always trying to like think about, about like the connections between art and like the work that we do because it, in a lot of ways, it kind of is an art form. And I want to unpack this idea with you, Noah, because it really hit me as I, as I was even making that video that, yeah, I was really taught that theology is this like objective standard. It just, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it exists outside of time, culture, space, context, history, et cetera. And yeah. our job is to find it, right? It is right. to find the hidden treasure that's buried somewhere. But as I'm like reading and trying to grasp this massive tradition that we're a part of, the Christian faith, I'm realizing that, that there's way more creative, um, license taken and that we're yeah. really in, in, in a conversation. And then I think about, uh, our conversation from a couple of months ago about, uh, it, what was our podcast titled? Two homeschoolers trying to explain quantum <laughs> physics, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think about like how, because thanks to science, we know that everything is connected and everything is in really conversation with each other, right? We're all tangled up in different ways that, that, that the tr- Christian tradition is part of that. Like it's tangled up yeah. with the past and the present and hopefully helping us make wise decisions in the future. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've talked a lot about this already, but I would like your thoughts on this. Like when I, when you, when you saw that reel, when I, you know, when, when you heard the words, did that like, did that make sense for you as well? Or was it just me? Yeah, no. And, and I love that the analogy to the music too, because again, as a musician, that speaks to me, that makes sense to me, this idea of, you know, you don't realize how little you know till you get into it. Oh my and God. Then so, so true. That's like the revelation. You know, it's like, I know nothing, but that's right. kind of awesome. That's right. like what makes it fun and exciting and thrilling every day is because it's this like constant search after something that you can never fully lock onto. You can't possess it, you know? Yes. And I think that the way that theology has been framed in, um, you know, especially in contemporary evangelicalism, but in a lot of different points in church history, and you can trace that back, is sort of as this, like, sheet of paper, this, you know, set of beliefs, this is what we believe, we have, like, cracked the code on God. We solved Mm. the God riddle. Right. You know? Yes. And I I think that there's something, like, existential inside of all of us that desires that. We want to have that figured out because we have this need to know, like, who are we and where do we come from and where are we going and what is the purpose and the meaning and all these things. Those are important questions. You know, that's why ancient historical texts throughout the whole world philosophy, like as, as long as we've had, you know, written literature in history, people have been writing things, trying to answer these questions and having these conversations, you know, it's like the universal thing happening in the world. And so like, I understand that and I think it's really important, but I think that it's a dangerous thing when we sort of lock on to uh, you know, like a, a list of beliefs and say, okay, we've, we've solved the puzzle. We, we cracked the code on God and we don't have to ask questions anymore. We just have to, to sit tight with the answers that we already have. And we don't need to wrestle with even what those look like in an ever changing world as science and history and, and everything around us is unfolding, you know? And so I, I really resonated with that. And I love this idea of thinking about it as, as art and as a conversation that we're having with theology, because right. really theology you know it just means the study of god right and and god is categorically inexpressible right there's no combination of words that can 
adequately and, and fully like capture what God is. You know, it, it's so any kind of way that we try to put language and words around something inexpressible is by nature a kind of interpretive art, right? Right. We're just interpreting for the best of our ability this experience that we've had, this sensation, this idea, but it's by nature imperfect. It has to be imperfect. And um, I'll let you talk here. I'm ranting here, but no, one, of my, one of my favorite uh, philosophers, do you know who Alan Watts is? I don't. Genius philosopher from, I don't know, like 1950s, something like that. Okay. Uh, he's got this quote in a book I read his recently. I'm going to butcher it. But essentially what it says is, any time that we make a statement about God, we say God is blank, we've created an idol. It's like, it's philosophically impossible not to. We've somehow created a God that is in our image just because it's defined by our language and our limited capabilities. And I think yeah. that that's such an interesting thing to think about. It's uncomfortable, yeah. right? Because like idol is such a bad word, but I think that there's kind of a beauty in that in realizing like this is inexpressible and that there's something awesome about that. It's supposed to be awesome. You know? Yes. Yes. I, I almost feel in this conversation, and maybe this is a little too intense for some people, but I'm going to say it anyway, that my evangelical tradition sucked the, the joy and the color and the nuance out of the art form of, of theology and theologizing, yeah. right? Like it, it really took something that is massively complicated and really nuanced and, and, and something that you need various perspectives on. Think about it like this, maybe to, to kind of ground this in an example. Imagine if the only genre of music out there was club music. That was it. You. But uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but like, imagine that. Sorry, imagine, sorry, I'm projecting. But imagine that that was all that you were taught music is. Right. Yeah. Here it is, Noah. It is a four on the floor beat. It is, an nts, nts. It is some kind of synth line. It's a bass drop. Yeah. That's all you can do with it. Right. And let's say you believe that for 30 years. And then one day someone's like, Hey, dude, ever heard about jazz? Like, what the, what, what, what the hell is jazz? <laughs> yeah. It's part of music. Yeah. No, it's not. No, no. This is outside of music. This is yeah. not real music. Right. That's how silly it's so silly to see it like that. But yeah. we do the same thing with theology. Oh, uh, James Cone, Black Liberation Theology. No, that's not real theology. No, 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 no. Wait, th th it's not R.C. Sproul. Is that even real theology? Then I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing, I'm using our, my context, right? To, right. to yeah, drive yeah, on course. the point. But like, I, I think it's important to realize that, like, like when, when, when the environment that at least I grew up in, I think a lot of us out there grew up in really cut off the beautiful world and the art and the, and, and the conversation of theologizing, right? Of trying to think about God in, in, from the vantage point of someone's context, perspective, historical moment, location, that was yeah. all swept away, and we were told, no, this is what it is. And by the way, this theology, there is no context. It's just objectively true. You know, right. John Piper's theology, just objectively accurate. He's not, he's not in his, he's not, he's not theologizing from, from a context or a historical moment, right? Or a cultural right. context. He's just telling you straight truth about, about what the Bible says. That, I think, is, for, at least for me, as I'm processing this with you and with the community right now, sure. is one of the cruxes of, like, why I left it behind. Because I've always been curious. I'm sure you have, too. Yeah. I've always been yeah. curious. But eventually got to a point where I said, if this is all there is, if, if this is figuring out God, and in my case, God, where God predestines most people to burn in hell forever, right. um, I, I, I can't reconcile that anymore. I, I, I need better ways of thinking about this. 
other than this is the only way to think about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't know about you. I don't remember. For me, I grew up in like a very, very Calvinistic Reformed tradition. Yeah. And for me, that was like an incredible, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have phrased it this way at the time, but looking back, it was, it was a incredible source of pride for me in my life. Right. That like I had, I had it figured out. I knew like mathematically how God would behave in any situation based on what I knew about God, you know, at these lists of categorized, alphabetized attributes, you know, right. and it, it was, it was an incredible source of pride for me. It was like, I've got this figured out. I won't speak for anyone else, but that's for me what it was. And then I just lived a little, like I got out of my bubble and I started <laughs> meeting people and I was like, what the hell? This God doesn't fit in the world. You know, right. this God doesn't is meaningless to most of the world. Right. And, and then it was like, well, there has to be something more, you know, right. because right. God can't be that small. And I know some people will be really offended by me saying that, but that's just how I feel about it. Like God can't be that small. If God fits in my box, then, then God's just like a, you know, contrived object for my own control. You know? Right. And, yeah. And even on like, a, I think for me on a more logical level of sure. like, you know, the idea of Calvinism, how we know it today is not like some ancient tradition. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you can maybe tie it back maybe to Augustine. Uh, and then of course, John Calvin, you know, sure. um, but in my mind, I'm like, wait, so you're telling me that, 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 that Moses, right. When, when Moses <laughs> was, was around, right. um, you know, predestination was a thing. You know, but but before yeah. before the Moses uh, story happened, and, and and the first humans on Earth, it was all predestined. Like they just didn't know that yet. But now we know what's going on. Like it doesn't make sense when you think about about how how we understand history, right? Like sure. wait, th these ideas are not eternally well known ideas. This actually sits in a specific in a, a specific tr tradition, attempting to tell us that this is how it's always been. But right. most people never thought about the world like this. Yeah, and I think that that's a really in, important factor too. Is like looking at and and you said this earlier, like the how did people look at the world when they were writing these things, when they were thinking about these things, like analyzing the cultural contexts and the the biases and the the things that are in our environment that influence the way we think. I think that growing up, I was uncomfortable. I was told to be afraid of thinking about, say, the Bible that way or my own theology, right? Because it it was perceived as like a negative thing it was a bad thing that i was allowing the world around me to influence the way that i thought about god and so if i thought about the bible that way it would be a failure on the bible's part or on my thinking's part of things and, and i don't see that anymore i don't know how you sit on this but for me like i've come to see those influences you know the culture the my own experiences the the you know the language the time and place in history all these things as like the unique way that I am connecting to God in this moment, you know, and that's like more like a facet of a diamond of this like larger experience that's happened throughout history rather than something that's like problematic, you know, and yeah. I, like I should be aware of those biases. Like I shouldn't be like controlled by them and think, oh, I've got it all figured out and I don't have any biases. But like if, if I'm open to that and I say like, yeah, I, I am influenced by the world around me and it does shape the way that I think it shapes the way I think about God. It shapes the way I think about people. And I accept that. And I see that in myself and in the people around me. And when I look at the Bible, or I look at other cultures and how they engage with God and I see that in them. And I, I see a larger, like a, a larger picture unfold on that, you know? And I uh, see the beauty uh, yes. in that. Yes. Instead of um, instead yes. of being threatened by that, by the the yes. not knowing that that introduces into my story. That's right. I mean, can we just be honest? 
Can we just yeah. admit that, yes, as a fish who swims in water, right. I, I am wet. Yes, yes. My, <laughs> You're right. My, my, The culture that we exist in together in America in 2022, right, affects how I view the world, how I view the world around me, how I view relationships. It just does. Like, it's, it's sure. in the air we breathe, right? And, and you can see this because even there are even like microcultures. Like, if I go down south, that culture is very different from, from the culture up here right. on the East yeah. Coast, right? And so you can even see that in, in like a micro way of just a, a, of certain language that they might use, certain foods that are more popular compared to up here, right? And sure, so yeah. I, I do, I, I think that's such a good point, Noah, because again, just my tradition taught me like, no, we're outside of that. We're outside of all that. But in reality, they were also in a certain cultural tradition of American evangelical fundamentalism. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that, that had a whole culture behind it of how they saw the Bible, of, of, of how they viewed the Christian tradition. But they were never either aware of that or they purposely ignored it. And, right. and, and that's what I tell people all the time. It's like, listen, if you're a Calvinist, let's say you're a five point tulip loving Calvinist, you know, I can, I can, you can have that view, but can you admit? Sure. Can you admit that there are faithful Christians, most of which do not hold that perspective? Like, right. but instead, a lot of times the language is, "Oh, well, this person's just not a true Christian. They're just not right. being biblical. They just don't read the Bible. They don't understand this, that, or the other thing." It's like instead of pretending that somehow you're above all this, can you just humble yourself and recognize that we're all in a cultural moment? And guess what? The right. writers of the Bible. And the authors of the Bible were also in a cultural moment. And, and certainly, I think I would say, I trust that God spoke through them in a unique way. But I also understand that they also saw the world through a specific lens. And that there's yeah. um, there's like an unraveling happening. There's a tradition that is moving. I mean, if we believe, if we believe that the Christian faith is God-breathed, right, where God has given breath to it. And if we, if we believe that that even our modern Protestant English Bible, right, in some way has ha, has the Spirit of God over it. That would mean that it's living and breathing, and that would mean that it would be growing and changing. Now, I'm not saying that we start adding new words to canon. That isn't the point. Sure, but yeah. I'm saying how we interpret what canon for today might look a little bit different than what Martin Luther's uh, context looks like in the 1500s, right? Or, yeah. or, or Augustine's context when he was around. I just think that's a very important thing to recognize is like, I think that one of the biggest differences, and I'll stop ranting because I'm ranting, but is that I think my tradition taught me, hey, we took a picture of the Bible, and this is this is what it is. And the Bible was, took a snapshot in, you know, whenever it was finally formed and said, this is the moral standard. This is the objective truth of everything from for, forever. And I mm -hmm. think what I would say is that, in my view, the Bible is a really helpful tool that can help us. Um, engage in, in practices of wisdom that help us make wise decisions for today, facing issues and challenges and problems that people who wrote the Bible never had to face. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference for me. And it being a wisdom text like that gives it the, the potential to carry into those new circumstances and those new questions and, and situations yes. in a way that viewing it as sort of just like it, just a rule book. Does right, not. It, right. It, it can't translate, you know, that way. Yeah. And I, I think what's so fascinating about that, like I've, I think I've probably said this before on other, you know, episodes of the podcast, but to me, like one of the most like fascinating statements in the whole Bible is when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. 
that verse has been used and I think abused in, in a way that's really unhealthy. And so some people, they hear that verse and they just cringe because they hear like a lot of toxic theology attached to that. Right. But I think that what I resonate with in that verse, and I see this as a consistent theme if you read uh, particularly the, the authors of, of John and 1 John and 2 John, this idea that what Jesus is saying about truth is actually kind of radical here, that truth is a person to be in relationship with rather than a, you know, a static set of words on a piece. Spring is basically a second holiday season. Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. It's a paper. Mm. And that idea that truth is, is living and alive and is personal, I think connects a lot of this. Right. Because yeah. it, it, it stretches objective truth out of the bounds of this tiny little box we've put it in, of a list of things we can put on a piece of paper, you know? Yeah. Yeah, especially when you, I think it's also fair to consider that, like, the word truth has, has a heavy implication of trustworthiness. You know, right. like, yeah. I, 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 like, the concept of objective truth in, like, the Platonic sense wasn't really a, a, a reality of how, you know, Jewish would have, uh, Jewish, Jesus or, or his tradition would have thought about, like, the world. It's a totally different lens. And that word truth, I've heard from some people that are trustworthy on this say that <laughs> trustworthy is a better, is a better way of seeing it. And that makes a lot of sense because it's like, yeah, like, do we trust? Do I have trust that following the way of Jesus, you know, is, is, is a, a, the best way to live? Do I believe that it is part of bringing heaven on earth? And I'm still thinking right. through some of these thoughts are kind of raw. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll probably change my opinion as I, as I read more, but that, <laughs> that also helped me kind of frame even that statement differently. Like, yes, is, is Jesus good? Is he loving? Is he, is he who he says he was, right? Like, is, in the Christian sense, is he God incarnate? Is he a, a living example of if God was to dwell among us, this is what it would look like if God lived and breathed in human flesh? Yes, I, I believe that. I trust that, right? Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you, Noah. Like, this whole, I, I think a lot of people are just trying to make sense of this, uh, of these different ways of seeing things compared to how they were taught about it. And one of the one of the analogies I thought about that's kind of helped me that might help people out there is that you know when when you record music you have um a program that has different tracks. Like right now I'm recording this in GarageBand, right? Cuz it's a really easy program to use for 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 one source. Sure. So I see my track and as I'm talking the lines come out on like this waveform. And so that's my audio track. Now if you're recording a band, you might have vocal 1 Guitar one, guitar two, keyboard, you know, bass, and then your drum set, toms, snare, sure, et cetera. Yeah. And then the job of a, of a producer or an engineer is to take those tracks and mix them. And I feel like in my tradition, I was given the song of the Christian tradition with everything <laughs> muted except for like the bass track. <laughs> right? And I was told, here yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. This is the song. This is all there is. It's just this bass right. track. And I'm like, okay. I'm in. This sounds great. And then as you listen to it more and more, you're like, well, this is weird. There, there, there's a weird pause here. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know why this note was played the way it was. And the answer is, well, you know, here's the reason. Like, it, it's it's this or that or just believe it. But as I've engaged with other streams of Christian thinking and other theologians, they've helped me, like, unmute these other tracks 
that are in that Christian tradition. And I'm like, oh my God, there's there's been a guitar here the whole time. That right. makes so much sense because yeah, when this yeah. bass when this bass part drops out, then this vocal comes in. Oh my God! And then I, I view the work of theologians almost as like producers. They're they're like mixing these tracks for us, <laughs> right? Like, hey, maybe this theologian really emphasizes the bass track. Like, hey. We need a lot of wrath here, so bass track is way up, right? And maybe someone else is like, actually, this background melody or a harmony track is really vital because it really it fills out the song this way. So let's highlight that. And that that framework for me has really helped me kind of just think about think about about what I'm trying to do, right? And 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 how how the work of the scholars, the theologians, the people that we talk to all the time who are just brilliant, how they're yeah. helping me to make more sense of the Christian tradition that I'm a part of and really opening my eyes up to like wonder like, Oh my God, I, I, I thought I knew the song. Turns out there's <laughs> so much more going on and now I'm kind of addicted. I just want to keep unmuting tracks. Like, Ooh, there's, right. there's a kazoo here. Unmute. You know, like <laughs> what is this kazoo doing in this song? That's kind of, right. th- th- does that make sense? That that's helped me. I feel a little patronized by that example, but I love it. <laughs> Not intentional. <laughs> no, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. That's how my experience has been too. And I think it's funny because like I'll speak again from my experience as someone who grew up in sort of the Calvinist tradition that like I thought I had like I was in the one tradition that got theology right, that got Christianity right. Yeah. You know, and and then you zoom out a little bit and you zoom out a little bit and you zoom out a little bit. This is like a two thousand eleven study, so it might be a little not perfectly accurate right now, but Protestantism as a whole, which includes all of those, you know, denominations I told were heretical, the Methodists or whatever, <laughs> Lutherans, you know, Lutherans, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 36.7% of the global Christian population, Protestantism as a whole. Wow. It's like Calvinism is like, you know, subgroup out of a 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 sub, you know, you know, Catholic, Orthodox, other, you know, Ethiopian, uh, Orthodoxy, all these different groups make up over 60% of the Christian tradition worldwide. So like the, the fucking arrogance that I had, you know, (laughs) to think that I like my little corner of the Christian universe had all the right answers. And that just excites me now when I look at a graph like that. I'm like, wow, I've got so much to learn. Yes. You know, you start reading yes. history books or something. Maybe that's not your thing. For me, it is. I'm like, this is so cool. That is the, the history shift. of like yeah. how this developed. And this idea came out of this. And this one got popular here. But then these people disagreed with it. And they maybe had some really good points. So like, why do we all think this instead of that? You know, like considering all of that and, and taking it in and not being afraid to ask those questions. Or to like part ways with some of those traditions in one way or another, you know. Yes, I, that's 100%. what makes it fun and alive and exciting for me. And it, and it's strange now when I have conversations with friends and family that are kind of in the place that I feel like I've left behind, because that's where I sense the most divide at this point. Is like, and I see in them something I felt in myself. It was that like that fear of of discovery. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of where the tension sits now. Of like, we're not. Su- How would I put that? That that there's there's nothing to be gained from going to those other traditions and yes. learning from them and considering yes their theology and their journey and and engaging with them in the conversation. That right. Th- maybe the only purpose of doing that would be to debate and refute them. 
Right, right. Or, you know? or, or, or you're given a really bad caricature of it. Oh, Catholics right. just, yeah, yeah. Catholics believe in workspace salvation. They pray right. to Mary. Oh my God. Yeah. So bad. Which is so clearly <laughs> unbiblical. You know, it's right. like yeah. that kind of, it, again, I was part of the same world you were. I mean, I totally get it, right? And there, I, yeah. I think because deep down, at least for me, it was rooted in so much fear of being wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if I'm wrong? What I I can't be wrong because my whole faith hinges on me being objectively right. Right. Yeah. And I I, I can't handle being wrong. Yeah. Which it was a it was like a very logic based version of faith too. You know. And that was like I I make little snide comments all the time about apologetics. I actually think there's some good to the if apologetics is just logical reasons to believe about God. That's fine. It's not a bad thing sure but, but when faith is nothing but logical reasons you know and that objective truth like it's all just what we can think you miss out on all of this stuff you know like right. the, the relational component of this yeah. the experiential component which is at least 50 percent of the equation yeah. arguably i think yeah. way more if you look at the way that it's actually pictured by the, the authors of the biblical texts it's it's a shift from wearing a hard hat and a building you think that the roof is going to cave in on any second, right? To putting on the explorer hat of yeah, like, yeah. oh my god, the roof is not going to cave in, and I have not been looking up the entire time, and there's right. so much here, right? And so yeah. I, I think that that's been the shift for me is like just going from a, a mentality of oh my god, I'm so scared, um, I I can't be wrong, so I have to, I have to sure up my talking points and my beliefs better. To, right. huh, you know, like, okay, um, clearly the world's way bigger than I am ever going to be. And there's yeah. so much more happening than, than I can ever conceive. And there are these other traditions that are well established. And I, 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 even when I was still an evangelical, I thought this, like, it can't just be that they're completely wrong and I'm completely right. Like, they have to have reasons right. why they believe what they believe. And that curiosity got me to a place where I said, oh, like, you know, maybe I wouldn't agree now, but I at least understand it and I see why someone yeah. might think this way about the Bible or about Mary or whatever it would be, right? Sure. That that was such a shift for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And that thing that you talked about, that fear, that was the the big motivator for me. And I felt like it was ingrained into me in a lot of ways because I was afraid that if I come to the wrong conclusion, I'm going to go to hell. Same. You know? That Same. was like my fear. And so I can't ask questions because it might screw me over for eternity. Right. You know? Right. But, and I say that and I laugh, but it wasn't a laughing matter. It was very, no. very serious, you know? Absolutely. And, and now where I'm at is that I'm not afraid of, of, you know, ruining my eternal destiny for embracing the beauty and the mystery of the divine and of the world around me, you know? Uh, uh, and I, that's, that's beautiful. And it took me a hell of a lot of therapy to get there. So but, yes, but yeah, yes. You know, that's well, that's kind of the way I process this now. That's an important point because I know people listening might be in different stages of like yeah. their uh of where they are on like a theological level and the fear of burning in hell forever is a legitimate fear that I had legitimate panic attacks over for a long time. Um I'll never forget driving home one night uh late um hanging out with some friends and the, like an almost like an intrusive thought just hit me of like what if I'm wrong? And what if I actually am going to burn in hell forever? Like when I right. die, I'll be on fire forever. And this like feeling of terror and panic just came over me. And so it's a legitimate thing. And it did take as well, a same thing though, a lot of time and processing and therapy and, and exploring to kind of get over that hump 
of 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 having hell in the back of my head, like this right. fear of, of tormenting of being tormented forever. Um, but since I've been over that hump, I can I can say honestly, it is incredibly freeing. It honestly is. Yeah. Um, and it's also humbling because again, like the more you just learn about how humans have thought throughout history and even in the Christian tradition, the more you see how complicated and also how universal this question of the afterlife is. Like this, this transcends right. yeah. Christianity. Yeah. I mean, cultures, yeah, yeah. et cetera, have been asking the same question. Uh, one good book on this would be, um, Bart Ehrman's Heaven and Hell. I found just a really helpful kind of yeah. crash course history of how the topic, how the, the language of heaven and hell developed over time. It's, it's very fascinating. It's not phenomenal. Book. It's not it's really a theology. It's more like a, a, a history of just mm-hmm. how those concepts develop. So I, I really recommend it for anyone out there who's interested for sure. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so I, I don't know. I, I want, I wanted to toss that your way. This idea of, I, I, I see theologians now as artists and, and I think to kind of wrap up this, this, this part of like the, the, the our conversation, I think what also hit me is that, and I'm going to use the music correlation again. You know, I think that evangelicalism taught people that, hey, you don't need to really think too critically about theology. You can be a theologian. Like, here, just just regurgitate our talking points. Here you go. You know, listen to Francis Chan, listen to, read a Lee Strobel book, um, you know, and then just regurgitate. But that's kind of like putting a self-taught musician in Madison Square Garden on day one. Right. And like, and what yeah. I'm saying is, and listen, people know I am not academically trained. That's why we have other people on the podcast. That's why people Same. do theology 101. You know, we are not claiming to be these expert theologians. That's not, that's not the point, but we've been doing this long enough. And certainly someone could be a self-taught musician and still be a great player. Right. Um, we've been doing this long enough where we have a grasp loosely of what's going on here. And I think that sometimes there's a danger of, you know, this concept of like, you, you're raised in this evangelical culture. You're taught the talking points. Then you go out, you go out, you go out, out in the world thinking that you have some like ironclad theology. And it turns out like there are people who actually study this stuff for real, right? And then like with, with one question, your whole thing is dismantled. And so I think that, I think that's part of the, the deconstruction process for so many, right? Is that once they step outside the bubble, and they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a theologian. I'm, I'm, my church yeah. taught me. And then a real theologian's like, actually, there's a, there's a discipline to this. There's a practice yeah. to this. There's like, there's ways to do this, you know? Um, it's I, just that I, one person that pulls at the wrong block at the bottom of the Jenga tower. And then exactly. That's exactly. how it feels so, to me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so just, just a kind of a final thought, you know, is like, I, I did think about the correlation between like, I can tell whenever I see a drummer out there who like didn't put the work in to like, get mm-hmm. his technique down. And I feel like sometimes I've, I can be that way still sometimes I'm working on being better, but as yeah. people who are trying to theologize, not every person needs to be out there in public just saying <laughs> evangelical talking points in my, in my view. And I, I am someone who's guilty of doing that. So maybe I'm, I'm telling on myself here to be honest. <laughs> I think that's like, at least 20% of what we do in most of these conversations is to tell on ourselves. That's, that's true. That's true. You know, I, I, I would never, I would never call someone out for, you know, for, for what we're talking about now. I would never do a real saying, this person's an amateur because that's like the pot <laughs> calling the kettle black, you know, like right, totally yeah. admit, like I, I'm in process here. But I, I do think that like, you know, um, these sometimes I think that evangelical spaces don't really, they, they equip people for evangelical talking points. But they don't really give them like a, a a fair, um, I don't know, shake of like other ways of viewing things and like yeah. and letting people maybe agree with it, right? 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, ask the question as long as you come to the right answer. And right. I, I just I find that lacking now, to be honest with you. So um, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Or do they or do they give them the talking points at all? Do you want to talk about this this state of theology? Yes. Uh, little little paper here. Yes. Because that's an interesting twist of my day. Would <laughs> well, you want to intro it since you're the one who found it? Sure. Well, I found this on a TikTok, so I'm probably going to absolutely butcher this introduction. But the state of theology, this is uh, Ligonier, Mil- Ligonier Ministry. Yeah, sure. Uh, what you know is is R.C. Sproul's organization. Yes. And um, I believe Lifeway, Lifeway Christian Bookstore's research division, if that's yep, correct. That's right. I'm uh, reading does it Does the study, I believe they do it twice a year. That's true. Um, and I'm just summarizing. Tim's fact-checking me as we go. This is great. I so, fact-check it. Can, That's all true. Can you, can you just follow me around every day and fact-check all the <laughs> shit that comes out of my mouth? Because that, sure. that'd be helpful. <laughs> but it's it's studying the trends both as for U.S. adults and then for evangelicals, I believe also in the United States, on what they believe about things that they would be considered to ligonium issues. Ligonier Ministries, that's a tongue twister, core issues of Christian belief and theology. And I thought a lot of these findings, particularly in the evangelic, evan, can't speak today, evangelical category, are mind blowing because we're talking about this emphasis, right, on, on the having the answers, having the absolute truth. And some of these things are like Sunday School 101, right? Yeah, and I just I th- I thought this was fascinating. So let's just look at a couple of the statistics, and then maybe we can talk about it real quick. Go ahead. Do you want Do you want me to go over some of these? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go for it. So this is the first one. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. What What do you think? Like the percentage of evangelicals that believe this would be? Just like, like ballpark guess. Seven percent. Seven percent. Fifty six percent agree. Interesting. Wild, right? Or Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of evangelicals agree. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 26% agree. Or religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. 38% agree. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Go back to, to that Bible one. You said 26% yeah, yeah. of evangelicals believe. What? what, what, what say it one more the, time. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Twenty six percent. So, so that agree. Would mean- so, so the the majority would disagree with that statement, right? So they would but, say it's literal and it really happened. Yeah, yes, but huh. but a uh, a uh, a quarter of twenty six percent would would be pedens in this situation, right? Uh, which is <laughs> well, no, wait. Sorry, am I, I'm gonna am I, I'm gonna read it again. Am I back? <laughs> the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Twenty six would agree. Right, right. So that okay. it's not true. Right, which is not. I mean that 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 one. I'm not surprised by that one at all because okay. think about like about like like, like the fundamentalism. Six day creation is literal. The Bible is is the objective truth, the word of God. So yeah, I mean I think most Christians, even well, most evangelicals think that like the 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 global um the story of Noah's Ark literally definitely happened. It's definitely not allegory in any way, shape, or form. And I honestly I would disagree with that completely, you know, at this point in my in my journey. Sure. So sure, that, yeah. that one's kind of on the nose. But the other one you mentioned about uh Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Right. You said like, what? Thirty eight percent of evangelicals no forty three percent of them agree with that. That's almost half of evangelicals. I mean that's a pretty like 
pretty standard interdenominational inner right? major Christian rift like belief. Unless you're a Unitarian, I think that that's like you know baked into the cake. I, what, for, I of would evangelicalism. Agree. So yeah, I, I just think that's hilarious. But but then what's really interesting is you look at a couple of the more there's there's one other one. Let me find this really quick. The um. Huh. Where is it? Um, this is very interesting. Innocence, innocence, like oh, uh, original sin. Original sin. Let me see. Yeah, it's up here. I got it. I got it. It it is. uh, Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Sixty-five percent of evangelicals agree with that statement. Countering original sin. I think that's so interesting. But so so we see this thing where like the theology isn't necessarily um, evangelical to snuff. (laughs) You know, is that is that a good way to say it? I think it is. Sorry, I I don't want to cut you off. I just want to make one one quick point. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. You know, I got to be honest. I mean, I get the original sin doctrine, but when I look at my two-year-old, like, I I, I would say, yes, my kid is innocent right right now. You know, like, he does not know good and evil yet. He's just an innocent little two-year-old running around. I understand that one, even though it goes against, like, very evangelical American theology, you know? So, So what's interesting to me about this, it isn't so much, like, just the strangeness of it. But then when you look at a couple of these other statistics, which are more centered around morality, what the statistics are on these say like sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. 94% would agree about that. So, or um, abortion is a sin. 91% would agree. Or every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. 68% agree. So what's interesting is that the, the, the moralism, the, like the do's and do nots, are are less contested or they're those are the things that essentially all evangelicals would agree on but things like whether jesus was god eh, it's toss up 50 50 well here's one the bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today 20 only 28 percent of evangelicals agree with that statement right so that's what i i can't do math wow oh well it's it's the i mean it's it's like 72 percent right would would condemn homosexuality yeah so how that's interesting, right? It it, it is. It, it, uh, I mean, no, you open up, you just open up a different can of worms. We're almost <laughs> an sorry. hour into this podcast, but we <laughs> we, should, we should touch on this while we have some time. Yeah. Because this is, by the way, this problem or this this data, I can't say I'm shocked. And here's why: even before all the Trump stuff, there's a book by the Barna Group called UnChristian that 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 did a similar set of surveys. And they found similar ideas, meaning like like the average American, most Americans say that at one point they made a personal commitment and profession of faith in Jesus. Like it's like three out of four. It's a crazy amount. And then yeah. they they then they define like an evangelical worldview. They call it a biblical worldview. Uh, you yeah. know, like Jesus is God, the devil's real, sin's a thing, etc. And they found six percent of the same people who said that yes, I got saved at one point had that biblical worldview. And and the right. thing that, that 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 gets me here is that this in this again I want to emphasize for for people out there even before I started new evangelicals before I quote unquote deconstructed I always had a problem and always thought that the American evangelical church was so bad at really teaching people like decent theology right or yeah. or, or 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 even giving them their own beliefs 
well. I mean, the fact, right. the fact that what was, what was that, that number? Was it, uh, about Jesus being God? Or I'm looking for it again. How many was it? It was oh, a, 43% of yeah. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was I mean, not God. Listen, that is, that is truly Christianity 101. In, right. in, in almost every tradition. I mean, there are some like, like John Shelby Spong wouldn't say that anymore. Okay, whatever. Sure, yeah. But, but like, they're outliers, right? I mean, the majority yeah. of Christians would say this. And the fact right. that evangelical churches are so dominant in America, they suck in so many people. They, some of them make a lot of money and, 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 and the, the results are in. Most evangelicals are really right there on the culture war. They, they are right in, in lockstep with, with right wing, yeah. uh, you know, politics. But when it comes to like, uh, Christian theology, no. <laughs> right. The, the, the things that are sticking are the, say, like the behavioral control, the political values, but, but not. The uh, you know, the Jesus stuff. The Jesus stuff is optional. Well, that makes sense. That 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 does make sense because if you read the gospel accounts, I don't know how you come away with like the majority of of the conservative evangelical political views. I just I don't see it. You know, and and it's interesting because we always say on the show and on 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 TikTok and Twitter. That, you know, the reality is I believe that white evangelicals are discipled by Tucker Carlson and Fox News more than the actual, like, Jesus that, that, that they claim to follow or even the churches that they inhabit. And I think sure. this is really a good a good example of that because most pastors would say, of course, Jesus is God. I'm a Christian, right? right? Yeah. But obviously, whatever they're saying isn't sticking with their congregation in that way. Yeah. But yeah. my guess is that what they'll do and I'm talking generally here, is that they will then blame the culture. Oh, my God, this is the culture's fault. This is just the secularization of, oh, my (laughs) Right? You know I'm not wrong here. secularization of America, the godless Marxist liberals. Right. I mean, and and I think for folks who, who, who grew up in these spaces, we know that that evangelicalism has a blinder to self-evaluation, right? They, 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 they are very, they're not good at really self-reflecting and saying, whoa, is it us? Like, maybe it's the way we're doing this church thing. Maybe it's the way we're teaching this theology. Maybe it's the way that we bowed the knee to Trump and still do, right? Maybe maybe we have some responsibility here. I have found the opposite happens. Usually they, they continue to demonize someone on the outside. Oh, like you said, it's the secularization. It's the liberals. It's the groomers. It's, it's the homosexual agenda. Blah, 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 blah. Instead of taking ownership for their own problem. Because I'll tell you what, the queer community is not, is not starting churches sucking in the majority of Americans. Okay. Sure. That, they, that's not what's going on. If, if evangelicals are saying that it's a toss up, if I believe Jesus is God or not, that is not on the secularization of America. That's not on groomers, uh, groomers term used loosely. That is not on liberals. That is on the churches that, that, that house evangelicals hard right. stuff. Yeah. What are you, what are you emphasizing? Like, what are you teaching as the core values here? You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It made me, it made me sad. It made me a little cynical, but I thought it was worth bringing up because it connects to so many things we're talking about, about the emphasis of the political values put over the, the, uh, Jesus values to put that really bluntly. Well, and I think people would say the same thing to us. Like, oh my God, like I had some on Twitter. You're just sure, a leftist. Yeah. I'm like, listen, if advocating for universal health care makes me a leftist, Call me whatever you want, but right. I think that I think that is a legitimate Jesus ethic, 
right? Like it, it, if a society has the ability to be part of the healing work of helping sick people be better, yeah, we should. They should be able to afford healthcare. Like that, right. that, that, yeah. that, that's not a big yeah. jump, but owning more guns in the name of Jesus, <laughs> it's kind of a big jump. I mean, considering right, that yeah. he was nonviolent the entire time, minus when he overturned the tables in the temple, you know, but right. like, but yeah. Jesus literally is crucified by the empire's, um, you know, death, death device. He does not bring a gun or a weapon to his own crucifixion, right? Like he, right. he overcomes yeah. death and violence by being nonviolent. And then Christians are like, yes. We have a God-given mandate to own more AR-15s and less government <laughs> intrusion on our lives. It's like, right. okay, that, that's a, that's a stretch to me, but go off. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that doesn't add up to me. I, I feel yeah. like we've talked way too long, Noah. I, I am know. very late for my next meeting. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. so sorry. Oh my god. Okay. Well, uh, no friends, worries. if you made it this far, thanks for tuning in. I think this was a good podcast. I don't know. Well, I had well, fun. This I is had therapy for me every week. That's what I say. You know, yeah, we're just I, talking it out. We're just talking it out, man. And, and all of its messy, complicated glory. So, yeah. all right, friends. Good, uh, good hanging with you, Noah. Enjoy your meeting. Talk to you all later. Thanks, dude.